0: Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman. And this week we're doing something a little bit different. I have got a guest, his name is Matthew Pender. He is a musician, he's a singer. He's in a band called Odessa. They were a Wellington band in the in the mid 2000s. They broke up for a while and they are back together now. And a, a new version of the band is doing shows and recording again. And we do talk about that a little bit. But uh, I brought Matt round to the to my house for the podcast. He's a friend and I wanted to reminisce about Prince just been the fifth anniversary of Prince's passing and that's really how I know um, Matt Pender. He's a Prince fan and he wrote me a fan letter. I wrote a review of uh, a Prince album and he wrote a a letter saying oh there's another Prince fan because this was in a time when it was pretty hard to be a hardcore Prince fan in the 90s and uh, so in the early 2000s when he started making what a lot of people in the mainstream thought was good music again, uh, a bunch of us were sort of raising our hand up and saying well we've always liked Prince, we even liked the shitty albums and um, yeah so that's how I got to know him and uh, and to this day we still uh, exchange messages a lot about Prince, share um, news stories, uh, share rare tracks or discussions around the music and we've wanted to sit down and have a big old Prince chat for ages so that's what we did so this is, um, last week was the 5th anniversary of of the passing of Prince and this is really a conversation about all things Prince and about uh, fandom and our our friendship that is formed through fandom so uh, I hope you enjoy that, if for some reason you detest Prince but you listen to this podcast feel free to skip this week's episode i always start talking about how i know someone and how we met and yeah. and, and i guess we kind of met through what we're going to talk <coughs> about we're primarily going to talk about Prince, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how we really got to know each other
1: yeah yeah i remember um you reviewed uh, the uh, musicology album that came out and yep. you describe yourself as a this was a great moment for uh, you describe yourself as a card-carrying prince fan yeah yeah
0: because yeah because <laughs> yeah, they'd been um a period and for some it was almost the entire 1990s where it was a little dubious.
2: to Yeah. Be. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Maybe not quite the entire 90s, but yeah, it was getting on a decade where it was tricky outing yourself as a Prince fan then. It's true. It's,
1: and people wouldn't realise that now. Yeah, it seems yeah. unbelievable. But I, I remember reading that and going, oh, there's another one. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think I had some CDs of some live performances or something and mm. I, I, and I dropped them off at the evening post yeah yeah with a yeah note saying check yeah. this out yeah 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 other prince fans yeah 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 yeah
0: you, you you wrote me a fan letter <laughs> yeah. it was but it was a fan letter from one fan to another yeah yeah that's right and so and then i guess uh i probably already knew about odessa i'm thinking yeah. and um and then and and put the two together or shortly after i was a weird, I timeline's a bit blurry for me now as it probably is for you, but yeah, must two thousand four. Yeah, but before we met, I sort of recognised that you were a, you know you were playing in a band and I knew of this band and stuff. So, and then I don't know when or how we actually first met, but we met sometime after that.
2: Yeah.
0: And then obviously we um, a, ra- a little bit after that became the era of social media that we're still in now. So yeah. you know, and a, a, well, I mean, we haven't hung out that much really. No really no. cuz you moved overseas but i do remember when you left i remember sending you a message basically saying where's the effect of this is going to sound funny but you know like you're you know we don't know each other well but i consider you a really good friend and yeah. you're like yeah same you know yeah. exactly Big time. and yeah 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 and then we were chatting a lot when you first moved overseas um, but the thread for us has been prince yeah really and i think like i don't know many people that i've had that kind of a connection with Someone about with with one art. I mean, mm. we we share a lot of other music that we like. Yeah, and a lot of other experiences. I mean, we we probably grew up in a similar age and stage of life yeah. overall, and so had a lot of similar firsts with music.
1: Agreed.
0: Yeah. Um, but tell me a bit about your Prince journey, the start of it.
1: I uh my sister was my sister's ten years older than me, and she had. 1999 in Purple Rain when they came out, she was a big fan, and I and so I listened to them when I was a kid. Um, I liked that they yeah, they had the I could read the lyrics while mm-hmm. while I, while I um, and so he was always sort of in the background. Um, and then I sort of went off because the, the neighbour's dog had, had an, the neighbours had an Alsatian called Prince, which was <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so was you know, and the dog used to chase us and that. But like. Um, it was sort of, about it was 91 when, when Cream came out, yeah, you know, and yeah. kind of, that I really got, um, back into them.
0: Yeah, I feel like that was a real, like, again, for us at, at our age and stage, you know, that was a real crystallising moment. It was kind of like, there'd been all this good stuff. And then I guess there'd been, like, the slight, the slight dip after yeah. Batman, there was, um, you know graffiti,
1: graffiti, graffiti bridge.
0: bridge which was just a, yeah just a bit too much and, and just spread thin and so you're thinking like oh well maybe that's the end of the golden run mm. and then um, the whole new power generation era brought about some pretty big singles some pretty cool videos and you know like he was making pop songs
1: yeah i've always felt that he seemed to make a special effort Every year that Michael Jackson put out an album,
0: right? Yeah, that's the true competition.
1: Yeah, he's he's a really competitive guy. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what drives him more yeah. than anything else. Yeah. You know, when people would say, "Oh, this, the, you know, Teddy Riley's the best producer around," mm. he would go, "Okay, I'm gonna out outdo him at his own game," you know? Yeah. And, get, and, and things like that. So yeah, because. 1987, when Bad came out, you know, he did Sun so Times. Yeah, yeah. And, and Diamonds and Pearls was very, um, and Madonna would have, you know, been putting out new music that year as well. Yeah,
0: well, she, what, Vogue was sort of 1990-ish. Yeah. So she was on a, a big wave with that.
1: Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I think he was always...
0: Yeah, that's a good point, that, because you forget, like, a little bit um, that that massive run of hits Michael Jackson had in the early 90s too, you know, yeah. the the Black or White era yeah. was, you know, obviously it's not quite as classic in people's minds as the as the two 80s albums, but um, it was pretty massive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I can't work out how I first got into Prince, but I do know that it was um, similar in that it was around the, the big explosion of nineteen ninety nine and mm. um, Purple Rain and and um, not that it was as big, but around the world in a day
1: as well. Because mm. I
0: was so into Raspberry Beret.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I feel like that's the to me that's the enduring pop song. Yeah. That I just I just like the way that works. Yeah, just me too. Just always like the way that works, but I don't have any memory of getting back. Into pre nineteen ninety nine stuff until I started buying CDs, so that was like, you know, mid nineties. Yeah. And then I really, you know, I went straight back to those first two albums and thought they were just so weird,
1: yeah. but really
0: cool. Yeah. But re- m- mostly really cool. Well, particularly the self titled one,
1: mm.
0: um, Prince. You know, I think that's great because it's got a couple of, kind of almost disco, yeah, funk soul things on it, like, you know, but the first album for you. You listen to it now, like I bought the record a few years ago and I don't play it that much and it has got some good stuff on it and it's certainly extraordinary to think of it as basically a teenager in the studio almost by himself and all of that. But you don't really think, well logically this guy's just gonna keep making records. You know, you could al- you could almost imagine that as one of those weird albums Mojo writes about and goes, This was released in nineteen seventy eight and then we never heard of this guy again. Yeah. You know, you can almost hear it like that, like this is some weird brilliant talent that burnt out. Yeah. Bizarre. It
1: really it's is. So- it was funny when he did that third eye girl stuff mm. we were talking about before. Years mm. later he he played that um that last song on the, on the mm. debut album I'm yours mm. which I, I, I I'm not sure he'd ever played live before yeah probably not it was, yeah, great, yeah. It was great to hear that yeah but
0: it's I remember um, doing a DJ set shortly must have been like within weeks of his death and I played a DJ set at a bar and someone said to me you've got to play that song off they thought it was the first album because it was a self-titled one the second album you've got to play that song um going to be lonely and it's like fuck that's an amazing song you know and it was and it ended up being like and someone said you've got to make that your last song and uh so i played it and i hadn't thought to do it and then i was just like jesus christ that alone is an amazing song and it's it's quite cool like there's such scope in the discography and such longevity in the in the recording career so prolific that there are these songs that big Prince fans have probably have forgotten Yeah. Are really that good.
1: Is I like Bowie in that regard. Yeah. I always felt that there's a real parallel with him and like Prince was to the eighties what Bowie was to the seventies, mm-hmm. you know, where they mm-hmm. put out an album every year. Yeah. Changed the style. Yeah, the um, kind of look and, feel. and the look yeah, yeah for every one of them and it yeah. moves through you know. That's the same I remember seeing that was that touching clip, um when when Bowie died, Prince was uh, doing the the, uh, the that piano tour, mm, and, he, mm. and he said peace to David Bowie. I only met him one time, but he was really nice to me. It seems yeah. like he was nice to everyone. Yeah, yeah. That must have been. I wonder when they when they met. That would have been an interesting conversation. That would have been
0: an interesting conversation because he, I mean he, the stories about Prince. There's all those legendary stories about him being strange, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, Oscar was wanting to watch um, the some of the videos from Thriller the other days, really getting into that stuff. And then we played the video for Bad, and he said something about I don't, he made he made a connection between Michael Jackson and Prince. And then I said, well, apparently. And he said, did they ever work together? And I said, well, you know, apparently Michael Jackson wanted Prince to sing Bad with him, and he refused to. Yeah. He, he were, you know, he was insulted.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and and then there's a story that he basically like cut his own version of it and yeah, I've I read yeah, that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: would, I would love that. That's one of those things I hope just comes out of the vault. Yeah, the totally. Bolt, you know, you this is of, the way you should have done it. Nearly, yeah, yeah, you know?
0: yeah. And that, that's just so you 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 wonder what those interactions were like when he did actually meet someone he, you know the there were the people he revered that he kind of got to parade around like yeah. you know, Larry Graham playing in his band there was very much that sort of stuff where he was, where he had the upper hand You know, Larry Graham was nobody yeah. he'd, he'd, he'd helped make some amazing music but he was broke and had no outlet mm. and so Prince took him on the road with him put him in his band and pointed out to people this guy's an incredible bass player and everyone listened yeah. but that's a total upper hand move yeah, I can't imagine what it was like him meeting someone that had the the upper hand over him.
1: That's that's so true. I, I I heard stories about him when he was first starting out. Just little, it's all about control. Like he he went to shake his hand, he held out his left hand. You know, mm. sort of oh, mm. throws you, throw you, and he's, yeah, yeah. And, and, You know, little things like that. I think it's I think it's very true.
0: Um, those power play moves happen. I think with people uh, probably as a defense mechanism, mm. right? Like. I always think of, um, I've told this story a few times, but, and I got him to tell it, but Paul Abana Jones meeting Bob Dylan and put his hand out to shake it. And Bob just looked at him and said, I'm shaking anyone's hand for 25 years.
1: Well. Paul
0: was his opening act. Yeah. <laughs> so he was given like the couple of minutes to go and meet the guy who was his hero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and who he couldn't believe his luck that he was opening and was about to go and do three shows with around the country. And that was their sole interaction. and bob just looked at him like i haven't shaken anyone's hand for 25 years like i'm not going to start now and then paul luckily um was invited into the dressing room of patty smith who was also on the bill who shared her band's rider with him and got to know him and so he had this wonderful experience with her which sort of made up for it but but you know you just think like like that's horrible but it's almost like a you know, well, it's either this or I shake this guy's hand, mm. and I have to hear stories about myself, and I don't want that. So I'm just, yeah. so I'm just going to do that. Like
1: that's when you hear these stories about movie stars or directors. It's like no one's allowed to make eye contact with them on yeah, set, yeah. and you think, oh, what a what a treacherous character. But you imagine it grows from that sort of thing. Like I have people coming up to me all day. Yeah. Just just give me my space, kind of yeah. thing. But it grows into this. Um, <laughs> I was, to,
0: at I was listening to that, that British comedian Lee Mack was talking about um, Paul McCartney meeting him and he said, he was talking to Adam Buxton and he said something about, he enjoyed his his interview that Adam had done with McCartney and then he said, have you ever met him? And he said, I met him once and like most people I made the mistake of telling him something, you know, like what my connection was to him and I pointed out to him that my mother had worked in the Kevin Club or something like way back, and had been responsible for paying him, like had been, had worked for the guy who owned it and had actually handed out the paychecks. And so he said, so I told him this, and Paul just looked at me like, you know, I've had 50 years of people telling me stories <laughs> that relate. To, you know, he said he wasn't rude, but he just, you know, and he said, and I just clicked and went, oh yeah, that's right. You don't care, like why would, how could you possibly care about that because. <laughs> This has occupied my mind forever, but it means nothing to you because yeah. you know, if it wasn't her that gave you the money, it was gonna be someone else. Like, why would you ever remember that? You know, what am I expecting? You're gonna go, Oh, your mum was such and such. You yeah, know, we really liked her. <laughs> <You know>? lovely. <laughs> it was really, it was really good. How, I mean, it was crushing, but it was really good how he sort of, um, you know, unpicked that because mm. I remember, you know, I mean, I, I got to see Prince play before, um. You know, only a few months before he died and that was the only time he played here and I didn't think that was going to happen and then there were people full of stories about getting a glimpse of him at the after party mm. and I thought, well, like, like that's wonderful like, but I also thought, like, why, why bother? What, what does that make? Like, if that's what you're into, sure but, yeah. like, for me, God, just, just, you know being Cinderella who got to go to the ball you know, get, getting on the plane and going to the show that was it
1: Thank God you, you got there I mean, imagine if you'd missed that show.
0: Well, uh, you know, lots of people did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, are, there are people that love Prince at least as much as I do, and more. Sure. So there were, and there will be people that um, feel like they were bigger fans who didn't get it. So I don't want to gloat, but you're right. Like it was, yeah. it's an amazing thing that I got to go because um, it was through generosity of some friends who, who went, went are going to help chip in. Oh, you need so to, you need to go because you got to see him in the band, one of the band shows, didn't you? Yeah,
1: t- twenty twelve.
0: That in Australia, yeah, yeah, because that was. I thought that was my shot, I thought that was my chance of seeing him. And because um, he advertised a show in New Zealand in about '96,
1: yeah, 90, uh, it was 98, '96, '94, it was. And then he yeah. was going to be playing at the stadium in 2005, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um so there was always, yeah, and, yeah. Rumors yeah. and,
0: and, and a couple of actual confirmed things. And I never
1: oh we never found out why it didn't happen then because people are surprised when you tell them that that last piano tour when he um, mm. that, that just was, before he died that was the only time he ever came here yeah for such a big so i when, when he was coming in 2005 that's when odessa was yeah doing well like the, the first first yeah. album was about to come out and stuff like that and we were really there following and i thought i've i've got it i've got i i got in touch with the promoter and yeah. i emailed him and said look this there's a, we've got a show coming out. Bodega, come check us out. I really, I really want to pitch this. I want to play support for Prince, um, and he came to the, he came to the show. Mm. And when Prince didn't end up coming, I mean, I went to a, a, third party that uh, Prince doesn't usually have support. acts, yeah, But yeah. he said if if he did on this one, you guys would have got it. And I thought, wow, well, uh, maybe uh, just just <laughs> to have
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. some
1: alternate dimension. Yeah. <laughs> that had happened. That's good enough for me. Mm. There reminds me of a story. Prince stopped shaking hands as well. And he said, um, he said, brothers always want to give you that real firm handshake and then you they just crush your hand and you can't play piano the mm. next day. Mm. <laughs> so other reasons as well. I, I,
0: I was going to say that. I, I can see why people, you know, it's funny what you take for granted. The hands are... Crucial for any musician, particularly someone playing yeah. guitar or piano well anything. Like but you know even a singer, is who only a singer is using their hands to yeah. hold their microphone to um, gesticulate, and you sort of just think like again it's that it's that kind of um, lack of well not not quite a lack of empathy but certainly it's that putting yourself first in that moment. Yeah. He wouldn't shake my hand, or well, there might be a reason. Yeah. Behind it that isn't just you know rudeness and some some people these days think eh, yeah know handshaking's a bit naff like you kind of give a hug to the people you know well enough and yeah. you just say hello and wave to the people you are just getting to know like that that's fine too
1: well especially post-covid it's all yeah. about the fist bump now.
0: yeah 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 <laughs> elbow touching fist bumps um yeah so you saw the 2012 hits kind of a hits show yeah with the band and you did you fly over to Oz for it
1: yeah
0: like specifically for it yeah yeah
1: yeah and my father lives in Sydney so mm stayed with him and um that yeah that obviously was a dream come true it was at the olympic stadium so it was like at homebush it was quite a bit Mm. out there we got on the train and every train stop just got more and more purple like (laughs) you could see them just sort of gathering on the train and there was just um and then there was sort of there was this bar that was sort of having a pre party where people sort of were meeting and stuff like that and looking around at some of these you know real prince tragics that, um, you know, dressed like him all yeah, the time yeah, and, yeah. and had, you know, <laughs> you know, perms and stuff like that. and I thought, oh, wow, I love these people. These are my people.
0: I know. It, sometimes it's nice to be, I was just thinking, um, after he died, the Roxy, in Miramar, the Roxy Cinema, they put on a screening of Purple Rain mm-hmm. and um, they invited me along to it and I went, uh, and I thought, you yeah, know, yeah, I will go and see that. I haven't seen the film for ages and, And then I thought, I don't actually know if I want to be in an audience full of, you know, it's like, I don't want to be part of a club that would have me like, you know, know, I just like, I think you're one of the few people that I've ever sat and talked about Prince Mm -hmm. a lot with you know certainly I've written about Prince and then people that know that I like Prince and I've I've had a conversation with but on the regular that's about it and then I thought oh, I'm gonna end up in a room full of people that love Prince and I don't know how I feel about that (laughs) I did it once I went to his gig that was acceptable but but it was lovely you know it was really nice and um it was funny like they played um oddly they decided to play the Chappelle show clips um from of the um Charlie Murphy, True mm. Hollywood Stories, the Prince basketball game thing. You know, and they played this skit and the whole audience applauded at the end of like a five minute skit. And it was really, but it was really nice. It's like, th- this is cool. This mm. is nice. And then the film, you know, and then they played the film and the film has its problems and is all the more problematic 35 years later, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he picks up a woman and throws her in a dumpster and stuff yeah. like that. Like To it's, say it's yeah. dated badly yes, is yes.
1: an understatement. <laughs>
0: but, but to watch it for um, the musical performances which is yeah. really what it was about mm. it was, really was a, sh- you know, a showcase as a music video, a long form music video um, and I guess he do you think that was a do you think, you know, to go to your point about um, competing with Michael Jackson, do you think that was a one-upmanship of thriller? You made a you, you know, you made a 13 minute short film out of one song, I'm going to make a, a movie out of an
1: entire uh, album Definitely, because he he'd said to his managers, because he had the three managers then, and and their contract was coming out. They thought it was going well, and he goes, "I want to be in a movie. get me in a movie, or I'm I'm not gonna mm. rehire you." And they were like, oh. "So they had to." I think yeah, I think there was definitely a. This is an interesting point, because around that time too, there'd been that that infamous incident at the House of Blues with oh, with James, James Brown. Brown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, you could write a book just on Prince and Michael Jackson's. Yeah, because um, apparently, they, you know, they they were they were really good friends. They had a lot of respect for each other. That people they kind of mentored each other behind the scenes, like business wise and stuff like that. I remember reading a story uh, when the New Power Generation were rehearsing, a package showed up, and it was from Michael Jackson, and it was all these um, Sly and the Family Stone like um, bootleg recordings mm. that he'd sent to Prince and they said rehearsal just stopped that day and we we, we were listening to these recordings. And another story I saw of uh, Lenny Kravitz was telling this story. Um, I'm gonna send it to you or something where he said, one day, this is in the, about 87 or maybe 91 when he was recording uh, Dangerous probably, Prince rang up, Lenny Kravitz said, what are you doing today? He goes, oh, nothing. Goes, I'm gonna pick you up, we're gonna go um, and just fucking Michael, you know, mm-hmm. they show up, and they're dressed like <laughs> Prince and Michael Jackson, and and Lenny Kravitz has been wearing the same clothes for three days, but that they would go there and just be goofing around with each mm-hmm. other. Um, so, but then you hear these other stories, like when Prince was playing their Vegas residency, and Michael Jackson was in Vegas, and he showed up, for, mm. to, like to watch it, and Prince just seemed kind of agitated that he was there and went up to him and just played this slap bass solo right in his face really aggressively. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard recording of Bob Dixon say, he's just mean, he's just, this <laughs> is just a big meanie, you know.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it is really comical, but I guess, like, you know, it's one of those great tensions, isn't it? Mm. Like, um, someone once said to me, which I hung on to, that, you know, the great tension of The Who was that Pete Townsend resented Roger Daltrey because he was good-looking. Mm. Roger Daltrey, res- and had a good voice, and yeah. Roger Daltrey res- resented Pete Townsend because he was talented. You know, he, <laughs> yeah. he could write songs. And and those two are still scrapping it out to this day, basically, <laughs> and fighting for space yeah. on a stage, maybe to diminishing returns. But th- that's been the glue, if there was one. And not that they work together, but you can see a similar kind of... Um, set of um, anger and frustration and tension between Prince and Michael Jackson you know like totally Prince yeah. is more musically talented but, you know um, in terms of what what he could um, coax out of an instrument but Michael Jackson what I mean he had success mm. as a child he had success on a level above frankly above what Prince got to but even but you know he had that whole backstory of being like part of the, the movement of music that Prince most idolised too, mm. right? The the classic Motown years.
1: Yeah, and I think he, he, by all accounts, Michael Jackson was very competitive as well in, yeah. in general and stuff yeah. like that. Because there's other stories, it wasn't just like the, the success that they'd be competitive in, it would be like when they're on tour and you're going through a certain state or town at the same time Booking the the, the the best lighting company or the the best crews for that. Sometimes they would book them in advance, so the other one couldn't use it. And all the stars had these all mm. this, <laughs> all these other things like that going on. There's a racial component too, which
0: we're probably not the best two people to talk about, but they're both black artists mm. fighting to be dominant in a white world. So you know they got they're both going they're going for that in that era particularly yeah, they're going for song. that. Like, it's basically extra for experts that a a black pop singer could be the biggest singer in the world. Yeah. You know, so there's that
1: element too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were the, they were the only two black artists on MTV at that time. They? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so, you yeah. know, I was thinking too, like, I was trying to work out, like, what really clicked for me with Prince was probably, like, yeah, around that Purple Rain, Raspberry Bray era, that's when I sort of got wind of, you know, I mean I'm still a kid then, that's when I get wind of like, he can play all these instruments, you know, and, you know, information felt very hard fought, hard mm. won then, so maybe a radio DJ said it, or whatever, but I remember the two things that really made me go, Prince is amazing, above and beyond the music I heard was, he can play 27 instruments. Yeah. And he wrote Manic Monday.
2: Yeah.
0: The idea that, you know, those were those were crucial to me. The yeah. idea that he wrote Manic Monday and the Bangles had a hit with it. And obviously there were other, before that he'd written songs that had been successful for other people and after that. But for some reason, I guess probably because I, just because it was tangible, just because I knew that song that was on the radio, I mm. liked it. But that just meant that those were the moments when I think about it that were like, oh, this was really talented. And then. In that era, in the ni- early '90s, when you say it, it was kind of, it was kind of, um, suddenly you know he had these big pop hits again, and Cream particularly, I guess, and well it, those two albums, and I loved um, the Love Symbol album, mm. and I think like it's not a it's not a well known song, but the uh, the song that really made me go man you're good is that song Damn You. Yeah. Because that, to me, is one of the great vocal performances of his career. So for that, totally I'm, like, I'm like, you know, that's all the way back to that opening track on that opening album, where it's like a vocal showcase, where yeah. you're like, for all of this yeah, yeah. kind of like, you know, he's a, he's a great guitar player, he's a great musician, there's all, and he's a great songwriter, there's all this instrumental prowess, um, hearing him use his voice in that way and the range that he had, that just kind of really hooked me back into... Yeah, this is this is talent on a level of above and beyond. Just oh, this is a very good artist. This is like yeah. into that next stratosphere.
1: That album is the Love Summer album is so underrated. It should be considered a double album really, but yeah. it's in that era of CDs when they just yeah yeah well over long um, and they just compress them into one big long. It could have been considered as masterpiece. We look at how yeah, much I ground. Th- Even the rap bits aren't that too cringy. Though.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I feel like it's uh, actually a concerted effort for him to try and go back to a sign of the times effort yeah it's like a magnum opus you know i think he's trying to do that yeah it's five years on and he's trying to go okay i'll do the big serve album again and i i guess the only other example of that is emancipation and that's different again but yeah you know and and you know if emancipate they always say most double albums would make a good single album and yeah. wouldn't emancipation make a good double album you know instead of a <laughs> instead of an over the top triple album 3
1: hours yeah
0: <laughs> it would have made a pretty decent double album mm. certainly certainly an incredible single disc of highlights from that because that's that's one of the I mean that's one of the that's when you're getting into the era of prince that we were talking about before we're in the mid mid to late 90s it becomes quite hard to hold your head up and go yeah i love everything the guy's done yeah. because You you're fighting against also people that are just reading the headlines and not listening to the stuff. So everyone tells you that emancipation is shit. Yeah. And you think it must be because it's who's got three hours of good music in them in one go. Yeah. And not many, not really anyone has, you know. And how many good triple albums are there? Yeah. (laughs) George Harrison.
2: Yeah. Managed.
0: And that came from a backlog of not having that many of his songs taken seriously <laughs> yeah. for years, you yeah. know, and and every great person in music working on it at the time. Yeah. And the benefit of the world just wanting to hear anything connected with the Beatles. And that's one of the great triple albums of all time, and that's it.
1: Absolutely agree. Yeah, well, *Love and Wellmen was when I became an obsessive fan at that time, because mm. Diamonds and Pearls had really, you know, sort of got me back into mm-hmm. it and I remember for that, that Christmas um, I got like a, a VHS of um, Diamonds and Pearls or all the videos yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and sort of behind the scenes and interviews with the and I, I was watching that and there, there was this live clip in it where he does that song Willian and Abel and he does a real James Brown performance yeah, sort yeah. of backstage and that just changed my life I just got obsessed with this clip like I just I I remember watching it and feeling myself changing inside like just I want to be that that's 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 my golden past now I would watch I come from school and watch it over and over and if if I still had that VHS it would go (laughs) at that point I I wore it out and just just sing on so then I'd be in my room you know singing along to his albums you know and it's um I remember my mother would burst in sometimes, going, what is that horrible noise? Because, <laughs> you know, you're trying to learn to sing by singing on Prince. It sounds like you're being killed. Yeah. But that just... It still didn't sort of put me off. I just had to keep, uh, you know, doing guitar solos on the cricket bat and all, all, yeah, the, yeah, all, yeah. all the rest of it. <laughs> in no tiny room, but... I'm um, I, I obsessed at that point, so Yes, because I can say you
0: say, you actually... Yeah, I mean, you, you did try to evoke him, like you, yeah. had, you did try to, cause, because you were able to in the sense that you were in a band, well, down the track, you're in a band, you're singing, you're a front man too, you're yeah. not just someone who stands there and sings and occasionally plays an instrument, you're a performer, so you yeah. dance and move, and a lot of that stuff came from, um, as I've always understood, it came from basically a worship of Prince.
1: Yeah, well, that's where I learned to do it. Yeah, I learned to dance by watching him and 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 performing. So it just comes out organically. I would see videos afterwards and I'd go, "Oh, mm. wow, weird. Um, <laughs> that looks familiar." But yeah, he was he was he was a great teacher, mm. you know, and a great way to learn to sing because he's got such a range, obviously, that you can really test your limits <laughs> mm. on that. Here's a funny story um talking about you know meeting other prince fans um uh kimbra wrote me a fan letter once when she was 15 on myspace mm. she'd uh, got into my first album and and, uh, and got in touch and she would made the prince connection she'd just got into prince um around that time with the musicology, album. so we were having this dialogue on MySpace about Prince, and and I was recommending stuff for her to check out. You got to check out this out. And she was a really big fan, and years later, when she won that Grammy, it was Prince who who gave it to her. Yeah, amazing. And I remember watching that, thinking, "Wow, that's so yeah, weird." Yeah, yeah.
0: And um, and and you know, not to shoehorn yourself in there, but you're going. You know, on some philosophical level, I'm in that dialogue. You yeah. Know, I was, you know what I mean? Like not in a desperate like person trying to photobomb the situation, but just sort of like philosophically, you're like I'm connected, I, I know what that feels like. Where you're like I've I'm I was part of a dialogue around that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and degrees of separation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what I mean. Like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you've got to be careful how you phrase it. But you know, that's why I'm I'm trying to do it for you. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to say that for you. But I think like there are moments where you have that, and you go, well, that's pretty incredible. Like I've always said, whenever I interview some, like people ask me about interviewing someone, you know, really famous, who who's the most famous person you've talked to, you know, rah rah rah, whatever that sort of thing. I always think the coolest thing isn't so much how famous a person is that you talk to, but it's talking to someone who knew someone that was just monumental. Mm. So, like, it was really cool to talk to Tony Joe White. He's amazing and I love his music. But the coolest thing about it was him talking to me firsthand about hanging out with Elvis Presley. Yeah. And you just go, that's, I've spoken to someone that knew Elvis Presley. Yeah. You know, that's that's just nuts. Or um, Jerry Marsden from Jerry and the Pacemakers was really fun to talk to. And I'm sure he played it up a bit. He talked about his friendship with John Lennon, but it's true that he knew him, that Mm. they knew each other. And it's like, that's mental, like Mm. that he didn't just have a chance meeting with John Lennon. They actually worked the traps together. They were on the scene at the same time. And I spoke to... You know, I snuck out of my office I was working in and on my 15-minute break, I spoke to this guy <laughs> about what it was like, in part, to know one of the Beatles. You know, that's that. those are the kind of cool moments. So you had like a version of that. You were in a conversation with someone that was directly inspired by the same artist you were and then you got to watch a clip where she was basically rewarded by him.
1: Yeah, which I was, I was so proud of her in that moment but like you say it, it, you know yeah. I felt <laughs> connected I remember having a conversation with um uh Bo Runga once mm. at, a, at, a, at a awards thing and she she was lovely and I um because I'd learned that she'd gone to LA and had a writing session with uh, Wendy and Lisa yeah yeah so I had that um discussion with her asking well, what do they like and mm, tell me mm. about it and had that exactly what you're talking about that uh yeah, secondhand stories and yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Yeah,
0: and actually, you, you mentioned Wendy and Lisa. Like, there are all these great people that became, are uh, still part of, or intersected with the Prince Stable. Mm. You know, and it's it's really quite a lineup, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know,
0: and I I I think like for me, yeah, the ones I think of the most are Wendy and Lisa and Sheila E. Yeah. Those are the ones that whose music I've followed. Now it hasn't always been all good, mm. but I've wanted to follow what they're up to. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I remember seeing um, a Wendy and Lisa album from the early two thousands called um, something like White Flags of Chimneys, and I just went, "Oh, that's fantastic!" Because you know that's 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 taken from a Joni Mitchell lyric, mm. and Joni Mitchell obviously was a massive influence on prince but of course he would have been a massive influence on them even if they'd never met prince mm. you know and i just you just like making those kind of connections so i bought that album and it, and it was you know not all of their albums have been amazing but some of their stuff's been really good some of the stuff they did on their own but you just just would i have even known to follow them at all no probably mm. not they wouldn't have been a name to me but they were such a crucial component and that whole revolution era was fascinating yeah. Um, there's that, what's the concert? There's the concert from pre-Purple Rain from about 1983. Mm. There's the Prince and the, I think it's just called Prince and the Revolution Live and it was a VHS tape and eventually a DVD and now you can probably just look the whole thing up on YouTube and find it and that's an amazing concert.
1: Yeah, I amazing. It.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in many ways I preferred that to the, you know, the more staged clips that are in Purple Rain. Of mm. course I got to it afterwards, but it's a superior concert to the Sign of the Times concert as, yeah. a, as a, a again because that's very, you know, filmed on a sound stage and very but it's an amazing um, band performance. And then you look at this thing and it's, you know, he was so trying to be Trying to have his version of Sly and the Family Stone, that multicultural, yeah. multigender, you know, yeah. bi- certainly biracial, kind of lineup, and and um, you know, female lead guitarist and stuff like that. He was yeah. tr- trying to subvert all of the the norms of the time. Mm. It's fascinating.
1: It really is. It really is. Yeah. I um, do you remember when uh, Wendy and Lisa played on that Neil Finn album, the, mm. the one new mm. album. Mm. That was exciting, huh? yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. in <and> the revolution <laughs> yeah yeah, I loved the album actually
0: yeah, yeah, that's what I say. all these connections of people you know you've found them through mm. this one source and then what do they go on to do yeah, and then they are and then the ones you never I mean I, I remember buying a CD because it was really cheap by Bobby Z. <laughs> the The drummer from the revolution and I, do, I, c- I couldn't tell you what it sounds like but you know I know at one point I had to have it
2: yeah <laughs> I
0: had to I had to have it but I was thinking like those people like what did they, what did some of them get up to well yeah. that obviously that was the peak of their career and that's no no uh, shame at all but some of them just sort of disappeared off into maybe playing in a club or something
1: yeah
0: you know what was that keyboardist Dr Fink
1: yeah And this was before Wikipedia. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So
0: you know, you can solve all of that and go and see what they did now, but Mm. at the time you couldn't. And um, but they were all there was just this big floating cast of characters.
1: That was another part of the thing that that really um, I loved about Prince because I started hoovering up anything I could get. You know, Mm. obviously music wise, but reading anything on him and reading about all these unreleased songs, the vault Mm, and stuff mm. like that. And going and being desperate to hear it, but you you see titles, mm. you know, a neon telephone or something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, and, yeah. and you just go, "What does that sound like?" <laughs> and trying to create it in your mind, and it, yeah. it, it 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 pushed me into being a writer just because mm. I had to, I had to I had to scratch that itch. And you know, it was amazing all these years later when YouTube and the bootleg started yeah, coming on YouTube, yeah. and just getting right back into it. At that point, actually hearing all these songs i'd only imagined before and they're all hissy and yes and crappy that was that was another thing like i was like you know um, you wouldn't meet prince fans and then you bump into one of them. it was a new year's eve and i didn't know anybody i was at this sort of, was hanging out with these people in uh, central park and there was this goth chick there right just seemed an unlikely Prince fan, but somehow it came up conversation. She goes, "Oh yeah, I you know, really love them stuff like that." She goes, mm. "I've got the black album, like on tape." Oh
2: yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And um, this is before it come out, obviously. Mm. This, this and I was mm. like, oh. and she goes, oh, "Oh, oh, I'll give you the tape." I remember I, I got it through somebody, and the, the cassette was black too, just by chance, which made it even cooler. But I remember listening to this, and the whole the whole mythology about the black album. I read about how Prince had said it's evil. It's got. You know, and and it must be destroyed and stuff like that. And I bought into that, mm. shit block mm. <laughs> stock and barrel. And listening to this tape, and it, it was so hissy, which made it cooler and funkier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the funny thing was, <coughs> it actually had a few extra tracks on there, which I thought were part of the album. Right, Because it, right. it gets to, yeah. to when it did when it was released in '94. I was like, it's only eight tracks. Because mm. it also this tape had had, um, old friends for sale on it, mm. the original version um, which was my favourite song on it. Um and the song called There's Others Here With Us which is this really weird track, um, where there's always n- some of the noises are like off the keyboard of animals going <laughs> and mm. and he's talking about like um children dying and stuff like that and yeah. I thought, okay, this is this is the evil track. Yeah, this yeah. is what <laughs> plays into it, uh, perfectly. And then the the last song was um uh I can't remember the name of it but this big mm. um so it's so it, was, it felt a more complete album um than the one that came out yeah i'm glad
0: you mentioned the black album because that was um a key moment in the whole yeah in the prince mythology mm. like the because back then it was like again you're in a pre-internet era where you just didn't know about this stuff unless it was your your one or one of the two or three artists who followed mm. so you know I knew I don't think the co- I think it really introduced the concept to me of like lost and buried albums oh, you no. know and I so I remember getting the Black Album when it yeah when it was eventually released on CD and I think they did a thing where they only released it for a couple of months to begin mm. with and then they you know they made it a slightly limited edition thing and then they put it out again anyway I can remember but you know not quite queuing for it but basically it was a a wish list item yeah. and checking in to see when it was going to turn up <laughs> and getting it and actually the first listen just going well this is great but this is it really is different like this mm. really doesn't sound you know all the all the Camille vocals and the you know stuff like Bob George and stuff which is just crazy yeah and it, you could sort of go you know and then you line it up and go well hang on this was all happening in and around the same time as Sign of the Times
1: yeah
0: which is nuts yeah. You know, absolutely nuts because it's like he's already delivered this amazing album that's a big serve album. Mm. And this is just some of the offcuts. Then there's the whole Camille album, which is another un- yeah. unreleased album from the same time. You have these waves. I can remember, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago, I mean, it was a decade or so ago, but I can remember a British, I was trying to remember the name of it, and um, but a British magazine came out, and they only made two issues. That was going to be a, it was going to be like this really clever big serve quarterly magazine, like a kind of, kind of fanzine, but with nice production values. Mm-hmm. And they were picking different artists to just you know, write in depth articles on it. And the second issue was, had a big Prince, had prints on the cover, and this person had written this amazing essay about. 1980 to 1985 being Prince's absolute purple patch like his most prolific and I just loved that reframing I'd never really thought about that and what they did was they talked about the amount of sheer output that one person manufactured in that time would never be beat because there was there was the whole development of him as a superstar so he's got two albums behind him by the time he gets to 1980 he's still not very well known he goes on that disastrous Rolling Stones yeah. opening tour, gets booed, gets taunted, gets bottle thrown at him, people don't like the way he looks. He does that in a purposely inarticulate um, interview um, with, what's his name, Dick yeah, Clark. Yeah, yeah, Dick
1: Clark, yeah. Yeah,
0: and, and all of that sort of stuff. So he's building up the mythology, and the music's good, but it's not really hitting. You know, And you go back and you listen to it now and go, how was that not a hit, but yeah. it wasn't. But then nineteen ninety nine comes and the sort of floodgates open, but in and around that he's he's wanting to do so much stuff that there's the whole development of the time and there's those early albums by the time.
1: Well that's what they said that, that he realised he needed to be part of a scene yeah. that came up. So he, he created he even his
0: competition. He created his competition. <laughs> yes, yes. He built the scene, <laughs> created the competition.
1: It's unbelievable like he yes. recorded all the instruments for the time, wrote the songs, yeah. just guide vocal for Morris Day. Yeah. And it was produced by uh, Jamie Starr. Which is
0: him, yeah. Which yeah. is
1: him. Yeah. And then he, he, he calls out Jamie Starr on 999. Jamie Starr, yeah. like yeah. a thief. You know, he's stealing my sound. And, <laughs> yeah. <and> like, <laughs> yeah. Which is
0: brilliant, isn't it? Amazing. It's so, co- it's so comic book, the yeah. whole thing. It's great. Yeah, yeah. All that intertextuality. And so, yeah. And then obviously, even just things like writing um, Manic Monday. Mm. And it's credited to Christopher. And yeah. um, the bangles have a hit with that. And you know the the album by The Family which is where um, Nothing Compares to You yeah. first turns up that's 1985 as well so there's all of that stuff plus you've got 1999 and Purple Rain so you've got the two big hitters but then you've got all these other sure. things and he's also you know playing all writing the songs and producing for Sheila E yeah. you know, she puts out a couple of albums in that time it's it, And it was really interesting to just think about that and go, yeah, that is an extraordinary... That is the making of Prince, that there, that half decade. Yeah. And then he capitalises on it from 85 to 90, being the touring superstar with the hits. And then things drop off in around 1990 for a bit. Then he comes back. It's almost like the attempt is to come back and be a pop star again.
2: Yeah.
0: And then with he falls into that... Um, around the time the black album gets released officially is when he falls into that whole um, record company argument slave yeah. and starts really overproducing producing um, and under delivering
1: yeah which was, was which was such a desperate shame wasn't it because he kept promising about what he could do when you know when he was when he was free and we knew there was all these thousands mm. of songs and um, and it really didn't uh, Deliver it all. We, we we put out that um the uh Crystal Ball compilation first. That was the first mm. thing that was like ninety
0: eight,
1: mm. which was with a weird hodgepodge like that went
0: back to again sign of the times yeah. era. Yeah,
1: because that started amazingly with yes. the, with the title track and then. I remember you lending that track, to me. You
0: know, wow. I hadn't heard that. I, you know when that finally came out, I didn't get to hear that for a long time. And you lent me that, and I was kind of like this is amazing. And then it was like, oh, it's not. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> it totally like drops off, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the acoustic album is just abysmal. Yeah. Yeah. People really
1: rate that. I'm, yeah. I'm, I never, I'm, it was, I'm like, no, it's sweet. I thought
0: it was really interesting. I remember having, I did have a conversation with the Prince fan about that where we talked about how, yeah, for all of his extraordinary facility with everything, mm. the acoustic idiom seemed like it was not his world you know i'm sure he built many of the songs that way to start with although i think probably most probably started at a keyboard actually but i'm sure he did you know and people love playing that clip of him singing cream on an acoustic guitar which is pretty cool it's got a good groove to it Mm. but yeah i just i've always felt like it i mean my least favorite thing in Sign of the times is when he pulls out the acoustic guitar and sings some, what is it, together in my life.
2: Forever in my life. Forever in my
0: life. And I just, like in the film, I mean, in the concert film, I just think that's a really weak moment. Yeah. I always thought that. You know, it's funny. It's like I've got this thing. When I see Prince with an acoustic guitar, I'm not interested.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way, actually. and. It's not,
0: you know, Richard Thompson, who's an amazing electric guitar player, is an extraordinary acoustic guitar player. When I see him with an acoustic guitar player, I go, this can be good. Yeah. When I see Neil Young, who, who I first heard as an electric guitarist, that's how I really warmed to Neil Young's sound. When I see him with an acoustic guitar, I go, oh, this is going to be good. So it's, Plenty, you know. Buckingham, yeah, exactly, one, yeah. exactly. So many can do both. And then there are obviously your acoustic specialists who, you, you, know, you know, that's what they do and that's what you're there for. But there are people who can do both. But I, I sort of just, yeah, I'm just not interested.
1: Yeah, I agree, actually. (laughs) It's really
0: weird. But yeah, Crystal Wall starts off so good. And then it just like, and again, it's that big serve thing. There's just too much music. Yeah. I think that's the thing. And then there were some really slight albums in that period. Um, What's the one with uh, Chaos and Disorder?
2: Yeah.
0: Is a really slight album with not much to recommend it. But I remember buying it and and you know you did the work you wanted to like it it was a new yeah. Prince album and so <laughs> it was a new Prince album and you'd spent your pocket money on it so you wanted to like it and I did like it for quite a while and I listened to it again a few weeks ago and went yeah there really isn't that much on that it's yeah. a bit of a stretch
1: which he acknowledged too yeah, I mean yeah, he, yeah. on it he goes this yeah. is only meant for private use yeah. don't yeah. buy it it's
0: kind of like well don't put it out
1: don't, yeah that was to, to to finish off his contract yeah. and yeah um, it was, it's taking the piss out of the fans in yes, a way
0: yes but the, the the record I think from that period that um, is the great under discovered one is Come
1: yeah. yeah I think
0: that's I remember buying that and going this is good this is really good and it's you know again probably there's one or two songs on there that you don't need but overall and I think like Let It Go is an extraordinary yeah. song
2: like
0: yeah. how is that not like one of his great hits
1: he really shot himself in the foot with that album because he'd just brought out the single Most Beautiful Girl yeah. in the World. And that'd been a huge hit. But then he brings out an album a few weeks later and it's not on the album. Yeah. Because he's symbol with that thing and yeah. this is Prince who's now dead. He's yes,
0: dead. he's got the birth. And
1: people death didn't that. understand. Yeah. Us fans, we, we ate that shit yeah. up. But like yeah, he, yeah. Um, people were like, oh. And it was because it's the antithesis of that single. Yes. Um, that album. So... People were getting confused and a bit impatient with him then, which was a hard time. Because he was building up to releasing The Gold Experience, and that was in the interviews, and that was another mm. thing that we didn't get to hear, and we're getting teased, what, what all the song titles and what it sounds mm. like. I was obsessed <laughs> with that. Because
0: some of that stuff's on the crystal ball in different versions. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, in that era. The Gold Experience is a solid album.
1: Yeah, I, I, I find it hard to listen to you now. I find yeah, same. It just in the 90s he, he just overproduced and mm. it just never it never sounds good next to no. the other music you're listening to you'd make yeah. compilation tapes and, and the, those songs didn't sound right on and there and the
0: segues and skits are yeah. like uh, annoying and embarrassing you know and the and get it's that it's almost like he flirted with rap a few times and arguably never quite got that right mm. And the one lasting thing that he took from the hip-hop world was these annoying skits and segues that yeah. were all over a lot of hip-hop albums in the 90s. Yeah. And that was what he sort of stuck with, the least compelling aspect of hip-hop. Yeah. Is what he kind of stuck with, which is weird.
1: It it gets back to that competitive thing, I think, as well, yeah. that he was hearing Dr. Dre was the best producer in the world, and, mm. you know, I sort of felt that he was going, right, I'm going to play him at his own game and beat him, and it was like, why why are you doing this, you know, like we need you to be you we're not not you know show that you can be snoop dog and 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 rap and do these things and even was sort of uh taking the same artwork you know he did that 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 album the uh new power generation album the um where that uh what was it called where it was i think that it was even the same it must have been the same artist who designed the uh doggy style cover oh, and stuff yeah, like that yeah, and that yeah, real yeah, yeah. kind of tacky kind of thing i was yeah. like wait what are you doing yeah yeah
2: <laughs> yeah
0: so you know i said earlier and it's it's funny thinking back through this like yeah the late 90s mid to late 90s it is a difficult era to be a prince fan in the time and hold your head up but also it does have that that classic aspect of fandom where it's like there's something about being in it almost alone that is really compelling about fandom like that you are experiencing the good the bad and the ugly and you're the one doing the work and going through it so you know it isn't like you're trying to convince other people um, but you've got your own you know it's almost like you're preparing your own specialist top topic for a mastermind that's yeah. never going to happen <laughs> <laughs> you know like you, you're you just in this space and I, I remember going the hardest work for me ever was Rave Unto the Joy Fantastic yeah. that was the hardest one I bought that and went there is nothing
1: here that
0: makes me want to listen to this again ever and it's really long <laughs> you yeah. know it was about 78 minutes long and there's a cover of Cheryl Crow's every day is a winding road, and that is possibly the best thing on the album. And it's not great. And then just to annoy you, so you think, oh yeah, okay, well I'll give it a break. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll forget about this, and I'll forget about some of the other things, and I'll just listen to the things I like. And then I remember shortly after that album came out he does that New Year's Eve House of Blues gig rave right into the year 2000 mm. and it's an amazing live show yeah you know Lenny Kravitz gets pulled up out of the audience and, and does um, American Woman
2: yeah
0: and um, you know again the whole Larry Graham Sly and the Family Stone thing and big blues segues and it's it's one of the great officially recorded live but it, uh, Prince performances
2: yeah
0: but it's hinged to this terrible album <laughs> It becomes really strange, really strange. And then um, I remember, yeah, being on record about the Rainbow Children and just thinking that was an extraordinary album. And that arrived at the time that, you know, if if people's interest in Prince hadn't been killed off by the Warner Brothers slave years, then there was the whole um, born-again religion,
2: mm.
0: um, Jehovah's Witness thing. Put a lot of people off him Yeah, the negative sort of press around that, and then he puts out this album inspired directly by that. But I think it's amazing. Yeah, you know, the Rainbow Children. I think it's one of the, you know, if, if I I, re- I really do think that's one of the great time capsule Prince albums because, yeah. you you know, you might you you know you might say to someone that had never heard Prince, well, you've absolutely got to listen to 1999 Purple Rain and Sign of the Times. These are the these cover the 80s and they give you all the all the big developments and then what would you give them next you know yeah you know yes you can make a case for the new um power generation era those um, diamonds and pearls and love symbols certainly but actually an interesting thing to serve up to someone would be the rainbow children
1: yeah
0: Go. this is actually an incredible encapsulation of everything he went on to do
1: yeah i I totally agree with that and i think he Next thing you came up with
0: after that was musicology. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's one of those bridging things. It's yeah. like to get to musicology, it's like you had to wade through all of. You as a fan had to wade through all of that stuff yeah. and go, okay, like there's some really heavy-handed shit here. Like lyrically, there's some nonsense. You know, he's basically um, asking us to go on a pretty strange trip with him, but yeah. musically, it's compelling. And by the time you get to musicology, it's like, you know he'd always been listening to James Brown he'd always been listening to Sly he'd always been name dropping them and referencing them but it's like he he distilled it back to just that essence yeah. and went oh, I've got the grooves I've got the band I've got the talent and now I'm just going to give people party music
1: yeah and it, Musicology was the f- first single off there and, and I just remember the moment when he plays the old 80s keyboard yes. and, then, and it was yeah. like it was just a wink to, yes. to the fans like I'm still here like, yeah. <laughs> just, right, right, I'm, I'm just I'm doing some other stuff. And
0: 3121 thir- was pretty good, too, actually. I still think that's got...
1: That black sweat on yeah. it, didn't it? Yeah.
0: yeah, it's got... It's not as strong and easy to listen to all the way through it, but it's got a couple of highlights that are maybe better than uh, Black Sweat's yeah. Amazing. It's got a couple of things that are... And Black Sweat's, you know, really contemporary print sounding for the time. It's like he's, you know, he's probably... Thinking about things like what Nelly and yeah. R. Kelly were up to.
1: Absolutely. And yeah. going,
0: well, you know, why can't I do that too? And so it's got that whole, you know, yeah, where our R&B slow jams had got to in the early 2000s.
1: 100%.
0: And he's kind of like rem- rem- reminding himself, well, didn't I didn't I sort of invent some of what those people started to do? Like, yeah. you know, didn't wasn't I part of the blueprint for what some of those people... And their producers were often made. Why can't I?
1: That that that's another parallel with with the Bowie story. Mm. Is that Bowie basically invented the eighties? You know, by, you know, he took American R and B and he got the, Europe, you know, the work, Europe sound mm. and brought those two worlds together, mm. which created new romantic. And so suddenly, his influence is all over the eighties. And he starts yeah. trying to keep up with with that, and has his worst decade. Yeah. And <laughs> the same thing happened with Prince in, in the nineties.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, yeah, the same thing. You can comb through those weaker albums and find a, a gem or two. Mm. And then there are a couple of albums that stand out. You know, I've I've never understood why people don't like Let's Dance. I I, I mm. as an album, I think it's really strong. But then it was part of my introduction, so mm. you know, I've got to acknowledge that that it was probably. The first Bowie album I heard all the way through, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, so you know you have that connection to it, but I listen to it now and go it's still pretty solid like yeah. and those and those hit singles are fucking phenomenal, you yeah.
1: know they're real great well it's, well not Roger it was like you know as as Bowie said himself he goes, it was actually a, um, a chic album with me singing on it, yeah pretty much yeah um but yeah, they still stand up today always. And it's the, the three singles are the first three songs on the album. Yeah, aren't they? yeah, yeah. Oh, just
0: total power move. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I kind of love that. I mean, that's similar to you know when it, when was when was that done again? You know, did they did they copy that? Do you think when you two put Joshua Tree out because they did that?
1: Didn't they? Yeah, I know. Maybe it was just industry standard at that time.
0: There's, a, the albums. there's a there's a good story about that that um, I can't remember who it was, but they. they there's someone connected with you too. They couldn't work out how to sequence Joshua Tree, and they asked this woman to. Oh, was it? Was it? Maybe it was. Maybe it was Christy McCole or someone like that. But but there was a a person was asked uh, what they thought the track listing should be, and they sat down and they wrote out the track listing, and then Bono or the Edge or both went, "Wow, we never looked at it that way. How'd you come up with that?" And she said. I just pick the best song and then the next best song and I've just put them in order of bad to bad to worst. <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of thinking, that's a really great way to build an
1: album, you know. Funny enough, <laughs> 1999 album, which was around the same time. Yeah, that was kicks off with it. The, the, the three singles yeah. are the first three songs, so yeah. Yeah, I, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. So in the 2000s, so we have this thing, Musicology comes in and, and, and a lot of old school Prince fans are looking a bit smug.
2: Yeah.
0: And there's a whole lot of people almost overnight becoming Prince fans and going, wow, this is really cool. This is funky and catchy and, and sort of it's it's that great mythology self mythologizing too? Cause he's singing about um, old school funk and old school music that he believed in, mm. but it doesn't really actually sound like anything he made before.
2: Yeah. Which yeah. is what
0: what I really liked about it, you know? Like it doesn't sound it, he isn't going back to the Prince of the seventies or eighties or nineties. Yeah. The only thing about it is his voice is recognizable. Yeah. But it really doesn't sound like you know, when he when he when he last name dropped James Brown on record, get off. It doesn't yeah. sound anything like that.
1: Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry and, and so the album it felt good to be a Prince fan mm. again, but I, I still don't think I've ever listened to the whole album all the way through.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. And it definitely, um, f- even though it's only a 40-minute album, it definitely falls away. Yeah. You know, it's 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 top-heavy. It's definitely front-loaded. There are a couple of songs near the end. I do like um, the marrying kind. I do think that's really good. But, um, yeah, th- it does sort of fall
1: away. We are talking about the uh, rehabilitation of the Prince fan I mean, there's a lot of diehards that stuck yeah. through thick and thin, but it, we, we were going through the same, um, same valleys with them. There, three things happened that that brought us back, and we could hold our heads up. That was the first one, musicology. Yeah. Then there was, although I don't think people notice it till afterwards, was uh, the. Um, George Harrison's induction yes, you know when yes, he played that yeah, incredible guitar, Jim, guitar weeps, performance because yeah. a lot of people were like yeah. they hadn't really kind of realised he was he was such a great guitar yes, player
0: yeah yeah that's right and um, and again one of the all time kind of like swinging dick power moves yeah. isn't it that whole thing like <laughs> yeah. basically it's it's incredibly arrogant it's my favourite moment I watch that clip a lot my favourite moment in it is just the absolute like Gobsmack joy on George Harrison's son, Danny Harrison's yeah. face of just like, fuck this is I can't believe. Yeah. You know, he's there on stage with all his dad's best mates who are legends, go, My dad was a Beatle. We're honouring him. But this is something else. Like that's yeah. what his face kind of says. It's amazing.
1: and he's, <laughs> he just when he finishes he just throws the guitar away and yeah. <laughs> into the audience and walks off. Yeah, home. yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Amazing. He yeah. said was himself, he said, I knew something was up when Eric Clapton turned to me and said, you better take the solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then so the third thing for the rehabilitation of the Prince fan, mm. and this was the biggest one for me, was the Super Bowl performance. Yes. That was, that was such vindication. Yeah, yeah. Because he really, I mean, that was phenomenal was, yeah. and, and yeah. you know, and, and and he knew what he had to do there, as he says, I, you know. When he sings, I ain't no fool, yeah. and it goes into Purple Rain. Like, yes, I know. It, I can, I can, I can be the prince you want me to be any time I want.
0: Yeah, and he kind of, you know, he. It is the, the la You know, people will point to other things, and they're allowed to. But it really is the last and great Super Bowl performance, oh, and yeah. it and it invents the idea of the Super Bowl performance as, you know, a medley of yeah. like as an artist being able to like mixtape themselves for 15 minutes
2: yeah
0: which you know everyone from madonna to gwen stefani and whoever else the weekend has done since but it, it, it just hasn't meant as much i don't think because it, uh, not just the quality of the hits but just the musicality
2: yeah
0: and the performance you know this was everything that had been serving up to audiences forever distilled down into like a 15 minute
1: Show reel. and a Foo Fighters cover, <laughs> wedged right in the in the middle of it as well. <laughs> I remember hearing Dave Grohl talk about that and just how when he heard that that had yeah. happened, which is like what?
0: <laughs> well, the covers thing is an interesting one for Prince, isn't it? Live, it's that's you know, and a lot of people do this, but I don't think anyone's ever done it better than him. That the cover is, the covers that he serves up in his shows. Occasionally they would pop onto his albums, but in his shows, the covers that he would do were his way of reminding you, again, a little bit of an arrogant move, mm-hmm. his way of reminding you what a music fan he was and how much work he'd done, you yeah. know, how wide he went Yeah. from covering, you know, Radiohead's Creep to several different Jimi Hendrix covers to, you know... Le- uh, in Vegas, doing Led Zeppelin's "Whole Lotta Love," yeah, you know, so just these great, big, weird stadium rock, wig out guitar moments on one level, but then these really curious songs that he picks as well.
1: Yeah, and 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 again, that's part of his, you know, as much as wide reaching, showing you his ability, that's his competitiveness as well. Yeah, I, I, c- I can said, I
0: can do this song better.
1: I remember him saying once, he goes, "I don't think I'm better than anybody else." It's not for me to say, but. You'll be sitting in an award show that you're nominated and and you'll lose and you and you'll lose to you two, and you'll sit there and think, I can do everything that you do, but you could never play Housequake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's funny that we played Housequake um in the car just a few weeks ago, and Oscar asked me We're what it was, and I told him said yeah we we just sat and listened for a few minutes a couple of minutes as the group really is the song Mm. and then Katie just said fuck he really was a genius wasn't he and I just thought that's the you know apart from being (laughs) very proud of my wife I just (laughs) no but I just thought like that that is the perfect example and the perfect thing to say about that example because you know a thousand other cooks could, couldn't make up that particular broth.
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: You know, it just wouldn't quite come out the same way. Yeah, and then there was always, you know, the fullback live cover was always something like um, Sly and the Family Stones. Thank you for letting me be mm. myself was always another one that.
1: And bring it back round to Michael Jackson after he, Michael Jackson died, to show that the, the respect that there was there. I mean, I, I don't remember Prince ever saying anything publicly about it, but. For the next few years, he there was a Michael Jackson cover in this virtually every set. Mm, when mm. I saw him in twenty twelve, I did don't stop to get enough.
0: Yeah right. Um, yeah, yeah. So he just went and addressed it. Yeah. Yeah, in his way. Um, so you know, there are some okay things from him in the in the twenty tens. There are some okay things. Again, it's sort of that. Um, you know, these albums are all right. Yeah. They're not the 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 golden run is over and there was never going to be another golden run but the albums I think well mostly stopped being embarrassing I was just saying before I don't really want to listen to those third eye girl records
2: yeah
0: but the performances were great yeah but the records they're just not not because of the players on them I just don't think they had, production was a problem but also just the songs the yeah. songs aren't there but um, the performances are amazing so you see them in twenty twelve. And what does that do for you? Does that open up a whole, like, extra wave of appreciation?
1: Yeah, I, I think I've Either been getting... side of
0: it? Yeah, you've yeah, been I've, building
1: up to it. I've been getting back into them again through YouTube yeah. and those those lost songs and the bootlegs. Because yeah. as fans by then, we're not... And this happens with, with, with every artist, music artist, but you're sort of not really interested in what their new stuff now. You just want to celebrate the old stuff more and knowing that he had thousands of these songs from that golden period mm. that haven't been heard you just holding up this hope that well why does not he just release some of that now and there's two things that we've learned i mean that a like anybody he, it's tim it's the past and he's moved forward he would say I, I hear my guitar playing on some of those early records and i'm and i cringe i'm embarrassed because mm. i'm so much better now but it's like oh, we liked that sound yeah
2: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> But, um, yeah, I still think one of his all-time great riffs is Bambi.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. and
0: and the tone, like yeah. not just not just what he comes up with, but the way it sounds. I think that's just crushing.
1: Yeah, big time. Yeah, um, but then you know the article I sent you the other day, which just made me laugh out loud. That when it was revealed. Um, that he hadn't been in the vault for years because he forgot yes, the code yes. he doesn't seem like a guy who would forget the door code yes. and no one else knew it because it was so secret yeah, yeah. so he was just piling stuff out outside the door they had to drill in yeah. there after he died to get, yeah. get in there and it was a shambles yeah
0: yeah it's so fantastic I mean it's awful but it's so funny and believable mm. that and there's that you know I've always sort of thought with Prince like and you know it's been a been a big um Guide. I don't want to say influence because that sounds too lofty, but been a big guide for me. Um, that you just turn up and do the work, just yeah. stockpile it, just do it. Be you know the the goal at the end of the day, if you're putting anything out into the world, is to be utterly undeniable. Like yeah. be so good at what you do that people can't tell you you're not. But you're never gonna. No one's ever gonna do that for their entire mm. life and career. So just continuing making the dozer towers. is is an important component of that and to me you know he's a bad name to drop now but Woody Allen's a great example of that Neil Young's a great example of that Prince, and you can get three more different yeah um, artist types with different approaches but essentially the the one thing driving them is I need to turn up and punch the clock I need to complete something or have an idea through to wherever it gets to and I need to have it in some place, you know, and all three of them have got vaults of unreleased material. Yeah. You know, because there's, for, for as prolific as they've been, there's more stuff sitting there, yeah. which, you know, and in all three cases, we won't get through all of it. We won't see all of it. But, um,
1: so you move over to, when do you move to the UK? 2015. And you're there for about five years? Five years almost to the day. Yeah. Yeah, um, I was... Yeah, that was a very abrupt change for me because I was, I, I was here, I had another band going after Odessa, French yeah. Bikini Roulette, Yeah, remember, but we were sort of finding it hard to um, figure out going forward and people's schedules were changing, so I was sort of going through the motions and, and, and um, enjoying doing Boom Shack performances and stuff yeah, like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, 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 which were always good fun.
1: Yeah, but I was really struggling mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've always gotten nervous before performances you have to but I, I was having just almost crippling anxiety around that time and it was actually starting to affect the performances I was just sort of I would lose my voice and I was I was just in terror up there and I thought I can't do this anymore I, I, I just it's I even thinking about it associate, I associated that with the anxiety so I mm. but I was just going through the motions doing it and then my my um my personal circumstances changed really abruptly. I was married, and then that ended. Um, so I decided, I'll, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go to, you know, to London. And as far as I was concerned, music was over. You know, I didn't um, have any intention of doing it ever again. You still sort of, you know, you've always got a melody swimming around your head mm-hmm. or you know you write things down but it was you know um but it it was done then i met, I met a guy over there um who became has become a dear friend um uh, called peter sunday and he's one of the like sort of the top underground reggae producers over there we just met through work and he and he said you know come over to my house and um and check out my studio and stuff like that. We went out over there and he was he was playing me his stuff and it was cool. And he didn't even know that I had ever sung or done music or anything like that. I didn't tell anybody over there. But somehow it came up conversation and he looked at YouTube and he was going, oh, bro, you know, like, um, do you have any songs? Do you want to, we could work on something here. Yeah, so I had I had a few drinks and then we worked on something and it went really well. So we started recording an album and I thought, I'm sort of back in this. But mm. I still didn't have any... um intention of performing again and then covid happened and i found my way back here and um wasn't sure if i was going to go back but um paul Mountsey who I was in odessa with um he just hatched this plan to uh to put it together again at first we were just going to write because i I'd, I'd i'd come back as a visit um and being at my mum's house and all the mm. storage was there and there was a box of cassette tapes. It was like every rehearsal and jam we'd ever sort of had and it was just sort of sitting there deteriorating and I gave it to Paul, I said, you might as well keep this because you know, it's just in my mum's garage, you you, know, you might as well take this and he put it in his car and he probably didn't have any intention of listening to it, he didn't have a tape player. Mm-hmm. But he found one. Then when lockdown happened, he, he got, he'd got one on Trade Me and he listened to it and he was like, wow, there's some really good stuff here. And He's like, we should finish this, it's been, you know, Fifteen years at this stage, and I said, "Yeah, I'm probably into that." Yeah, but then he went behind my back and and uh, applied for these um, these gigs like Gardens Magic and mm. Newtown Festival and stuff like that, saying, "Odessa's back." <laughs> <laughs> and then he yeah he told me um I got I got good news and bad news. I and I said, "What's the bad news?" He says, "You're going to be performing again." I said, "What are you doing?" He says, "We're making a triumphant comeback." I said, "This isn't what we discussed." (laughs) I haven't sung in six years. I don't Mm. know. I don't. I don't know if I can do this, but somehow he knew I wasn't going to say no. And it's been just such a blessing Mm. to come back and play those songs again, especially with added horns and rearranged and stuff like that. You feel so legit when you're up there with horns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And um, it just felt really good. And I was saying this to someone the other day, and it sounds borderline pretentious, but um, these songs that I wrote as a younger man, singing them now with a different perspective, it's almost um, almost like I'm answering them back with the new songs we're writing now Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, you know, songs that were once defiant Sort of, I'm not going to change for no one. Now I was seeing from the perspective of, well, I didn't change and now I'm alone. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Where I was at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to me, that was really interesting and, and uh, emotional. And would, the amount of people that wanted to work with us, mm. who heard, heard Odessa back in the day when they were students and they said, I would love to play with Odessa. And it, it's so gratifying. Mm. So I, mean, I feel so so lucky um, and to play Gardens Magic and we've been split up for 12 years and have that huge crowd singing the songs back at you after so long
0: yeah that's amazing that's,
1: that's the that's the dream isn't
0: it yeah yeah and you're um I guess what's cool is you come at it from a point now where it's like you know I sort of feel like whenever anyone's in a band at the time early on However realistic you set your sights on, there's still that little what if. Yeah. You know, and so you, you described that what if a while back where uh, a version of it where you said, you know, we might have got to be Prince's opening act. Yeah. Well, so what if, what if that had happened? And what if even though he normally didn't have an opening act, they, they had one and he yeah. watched you and he thought you were great? You yeah. know, and he opened the door for you. And that can happen because they, because we, we grew up reading stories where that did happen. Yeah. So when you're in a band the first time, you, you can be as calm as you like, but you're also thinking, well, that wouldn't be bad if we became really famous. Oh, <laughs> that would <yeah>. be awesome. <laughs> when you go back to it after a break, you're just so much more realistic about, yeah. you know, it would be cool if we played a show and people didn't hate us it would be heaps cooler if they actually liked us. Mm. It would be the best if we could do another show. You know, and it's sort of more like the stepping stones and more like that. Mm. And that's, I think, you know, because I've talked to you a little bit about it off tape before, that's sort of, I think, where it's at for you now. It's like It's just great to be doing it.
1: Absolutely. It's funny, like you say, the first time you're in a band, because yeah. you look back and you think, people say, what would, what would you change if you could have gone back and done it again? Someone asked me this once. And I said, oh, I would just have just at a certain point just reminded myself to enjoy it again. Mm. And I remember at the beginning, the first time I saw a name on a poster and it was just written with Vivid mm. <laughs> with with Odessa yeah, yeah. For, for a gig at Valve. Um, I was so excited. I just started running through the streets with this burst of energy. Ah. And then it's incredible how quickly, you know, suddenly... Um, only I mean, only a short few years later there's articles about you yeah. or interviews and you don't even bother to read them or collect them yeah it's like, yeah uh, but you know you're, you're in a band and suddenly you're having a bit of success but instead of going wow we're going to play that thing there you're, you're looking at everyone else going why did they get that support slot why did they yeah, why are they yeah, playing yeah, that festival not us why this?" And there's this weird sort of uh bitchiness creeps in
2: mm.
1: um, that you sort of notice looking back because you're just trying to move forwards and this time around I just it's not that I don't care I'm just so grateful to yeah. be doing it yeah. again that, that if every gig I think if this is the last one that I'll be cool with that because I did walk away um, as far as I was concerned and it's just yeah. I just feel
0: no I feel I feel the same way I mean not I mean I'm playing music again a little bit and I feel it a little bit with that but I feel the same way with doing readings now you know yeah. I, I did readings in my twenties and I think I thought they were going to go somewhere and as someone said to me a couple of, only a couple, about a year ago, just after we'd done a reading in a bookstore, and a, a poet said to me, "When you think about it this, <laughs> he basically said, "When you think about it?" this is one of the world's weirdest, most curious little selfish hobbies, isn't it? Getting up and reading your words and thinking they mean something to someone. And I was like, you know, fuck, that's so true. And that's a great, you know, and he had just done it. So he was speaking from his own experience, you know, to his own experience. And it's like, yeah, when you embrace that and realize what that is, it's like, you know, if you read to five people in a bookstore and they don't walk out, you've done really well. And, you know, yeah, if you can, you know, pull a crowd at a festival and people buy your book, that's amazing too. But that that can't be the goal. That, mm. that just has to be something that might happen, not what you're expecting to have happen. Mm. And so I've been getting up, you know, most months and doing readings again and I just enjoy doing them yeah. and I enjoy the experience. And if, if it bombs one night, that's really interesting to me. And if it really goes over well and people come and talk to me afterwards, obviously that's great, but it's not what I'm... Anticipating, I'm not expecting that to happen. Yeah. And I've had a similar thing with playing music live again too. It's just like, well, I don't, you know, I just don't want to be absolutely terrible. That's my only ambition. I want it to be like, okay. Mm. You know, it's a nice feeling to have, isn't it? Yeah. And then just see what goes from there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the anxiety... I still get nervous, but yeah. that's a different thing. Yeah, as you thing, say, that's a
0: positive thing too. Like, it's a worry if you don't mm. on some level with performing. Everyone gets, you know, everyone but, gets nervous.
1: Yeah, that sort of went away, you know, that... that.
0: Um, so what what what, a, what do you uh, attribute that to? Time, time off.
1: Time off, I think. Yeah, and,
0: cha- you know, you, you rebooted yourself. You relocated and, you know, you, yeah. you removed... Um, whatever hang-up there was around the identity of being in New Zealand and being a performer and, yeah. you know, you you cast that aside.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I've often reflected on what was causing it in the first place, but I, uh, well, I mean, I sort of stumbled into, uh, like, I don't play an instrument, I don't really understand... Uh, music at all so I always felt like what am I doing in this world mm. and things kept going well performances kept going well but I kept thinking I don't know why they're going well it's just sort of they could just as easily not go well and I don't have any control over this so yeah <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, and you thought the, the more successful or the, the longer I did it I should have got more uh, um confident or more relaxed but i got worse and worse because i thought it's it's an odds game it's it's it's, it must be any time now where it goes wrong because you know there's nothing more
0: yes but you say you don't understand music particularly but you understand it i think on one of the most important levels and that's you understand it as a fan yeah you know we could have had uh, the conversation uh that we've had about prince we probably could have had that about hall notes Mm. we probably could have had that about a few other things and I know I DJed a couple of times at um, gigs you're, you were involved in or you were in the bar when I was DJing and you would always come over and talk to me about particular songs mm. and or message me afterwards. or um, And they could be things like, you know, The Carpenters, One Minute. Yeah. You know, and, you know, who knows what else the next, you know, but uh, as were my DJ sets were pretty random. But, you know, you you're one of those people that I knew you were appreciating whatever was happening because you, rec- you either had your own story tied up in the song mm. or you, you just knew on a fundamental level that I obviously did. Yeah. And that's why I played it. So that's an important component of understanding music.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree.
0: So Prince dies when you're in London.
1: Yeah. That, I mean... 2016, I mean, what a year. We were yeah. still reeling from Bowie. Yeah. It's funny, the Bowie thing, I you had posted one of the songs off the new the last album, Dollar Days. Mm. And I listened to it, because I hadn't heard the album, I listened to it on, on Facebook just before I was about to go to bed. And I was listening to it and going, God, he sounds quite frail. And he was mm. quite unwell a while ago. I wonder how he's going. Anyway, I went to sleep, woke up the next morning and read the news, and he's,
2: what, what? Yeah. <laughs>
1: um... So that was, that was really surreal. But the the person thing I can't remember who told me. I remember where I was, mm. or I, I think it was news came up and they said that police and emeralds have gone to Paisley Park because there's been a fatality there. And thinking like, um, God, well, that, I know he has those sort of concerts and parties mm. there. Maybe it's mm. fan, Hopefully it's not him. And then my phone went and it was my cousin and he goes, have you heard the news? And I said, well, I heard that there's a fatality. I don't know who it is. He goes, it, it is him. Mm and I was I was, it, it, it was impossible to process and I started to get look like I was going to get emotional when this girl I went with Sonina she, she went oh come on it's just a celebrity I said no you don't understand mm-hmm. this this one's this one's a big one for me mm-hmm. I, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this um, this is too weird and then to read you know that he'd Died of a drug overdose. It just was like, what? what? Prince? You know, we didn't know the whole backstory, but you never saw that coming.
0: Yeah, and just to jump in on, you know, you say we we're sort of a reeling that Bowie had just died. And so for New Zealand based Prince fans, many of whom as music fans would have had some appreciation for Bowie, if not huge, we also had that little thing where Bowie died and then. A couple of months later, we hear that Prince is coming to New Zealand and many of us that got to go to it were celebrating it on some level around the idea that, well, it can't be all bad. Yeah. You know, Bowie died, that's awful, but we got to see Prince. He's still alive and we're still alive and we got to see him. And then a month or so later, we hear this news that he's died. Which was, yeah, bizarre, surreal. And as you say, the backstory around I guess his own um, negligence on some level in terms of not having a will and mm. the, the, the whole sort of um, cocktail that he was existing on um, to present the facade of himself which you know is you can see how he would have got caught in that trap.
1: Yeah that's an awful thing for them because he can't go through yep. official channels to yes. get that stuff yes. so somebody was getting it for him and he i remember reading that he knew that he was hooked and he needed help and he had gotten in touch through a third party with this doctor who specialized in mm. addictions and weaning people off and he was coming to meet him at that's right. Park. Yeah, yeah. but snow or something he yeah. got delayed a day yeah and that was the day when they got there that yeah they, it
0: was too late yeah yeah so yeah. yeah and so you know i remember thinking well like I don't particularly want to listen to his music or anything like that. Like some people, you know, it's, everyone's different. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of people just um, thrashed the music and obviously um, there was no one instructing a team of people to take things down off YouTube mm-hmm. anymore. So um, mm-hmm. the, th- the YouTube, di- a few days later, did become quite exciting because um, full albums and full concert appearances were, were, were turning up as well as more and more of those B-sides and bootlegs and rarities.
1: Yeah, it was one of those few times that it was it was actually good news as a fan rather than bad news. Yeah, <laughs> suddenly yeah, the floodgates yeah opened.
0: Yeah, I didn't rush to it, but then when I did, it became quite addictive finding these again. These are you know songs you've you've heard the title mm. and you've forgotten in the context of so much other music arriving and your life going on that one day you need to want to, you know, you've got this mm. little list in your head of the songs you want to hear and then you actually get to hear it. Because that was a bit the, of that. Thing.
1: Like, with the that Because he was pre- preventing anything going out there, I whole, it felt like a whole new generation didn't know how good he was because they yeah. were learning about music from um, YouTube yes. and stuff like that. And it was really frustrating. Like, oh man, just let it, yeah. just it's out there, just let it, yeah, let yeah. It, um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he, he's just figuring out a way to, um, you know, put it out himself or have mm. control over it. But
0: mm. Mm. And then, um, so then over the last couple of years, it's been interesting to see all of this talk about the vault and a few things coming out. And, you know, I don't know that there's been anything that's come out that's absolutely needed to. I think mm. of all of the things that have come out, the product that I enjoyed hearing the most was the album called Originals Mm. which was his versions of songs like Manic Monday and Love Thy Will Be Done which Martika
1: had recorded Um, he did a version of that in 2012 actually well
0: he he didn't do it at the Auckland show I went to but he did two shows that night and he did it at the other one Wow. So, I, I, you know, I would have liked to have um, heard that, but um, that, I think, was the song for me, When He Died, that was the song I kept listening to, actually. I, I, that went up on YouTube, and I'm sure it had been there before, but I found that. I watched the um, performance of the George Harrison thing, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, I watched as I always do about once a week the um, version of Dance Music Sex Romance from the Musicology Tour. Mm, I yeah. just think that is the one of the ultimate live performances by anyone and I that agree. is that just speaks to, you know, the joy of music. Like everything that's happening in that clip is wonderful.
2: Yeah.
0: Everyone's into it, the audience, everyone on stage, everyone gets a moment to shine. Mm. It's just and it and it's like in the scheme of things, it's one of the more forgettable Prince songs all up. Yeah. Like, it's never bad, but it's buried down the list on 1999 you mm. know and it's a different version from how it sounded it's a rework it's arguably a better rework but it's just so that to me it just speaks to the depth of his artistry that mm. uh, a pretty obscure song in the scheme of things could be like um, you know a career best performance
2: yeah.
0: Uh, yeah so I watched those two things and I listened on a loop to Love Thy Will Be Done and I just thought man like you know as, as a single song And uh, uh, a lyrical message, but as a single song that he essentially just gave away. Yeah. Um, You know, people, you know, anyone else could be lucky to write something like that. And his performance is, is, you know, then I went back and listened to Martika's version again and went, well, you know, she's just traced around her. Like, it's not a bad, you know, it's great because that's how I knew the song, but she's about as faithful to that song as you could be. Mm. But there's just something. In his performance and his his recording,
1: that just lifts it to a whole other level. So, it because that, that makes me think, like talking about the Volks and, and, mm. and his periods that they've put out. Because I mean, we were both excited about all the um, Son of the Times Yeah, and stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I really, I haven't made it through. No, it, no I haven't. Yeah. And, and and I
0: haven't heard anything I've needed to. Yeah, it from that was it.
1: the interesting thing. I was like, no, they got it right, despite yeah. him wanting yes. a triple album and all that kind of thing. That. Sign of the Times, I wouldn't have changed anything about it. Mm. Um, which probably shouldn't have surprised me, but kind of did. I mean, there was yeah, like 40-odd unreleased songs. Yeah. But I there's still the stuff from that period. I, 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 Stuff from the vault that I look forward to hearing one day from the period would be...
2: Yeah.
1: A lot of the stuff on that release seemed to cross over with the parade era. Yeah, yeah um because it was revolution playing on tracks um but that i would love to hear a version of the family album with just his vocals yes, on it because yeah that's yeah. got mutiny and yeah yeah high fashion and yeah. um stuff like that eric Leeds, the saxophone play, says when we did the album that was as much a prince album as any yeah. thing we'd done but then yeah. he just sort of decided he saw all the money that Duran Duran were making and goes I'm going to go after that Duran Duran money I'll put a white singer on the front of this yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, in front of a funk band and go on MTV but um, I would love like to hear that version and I've always been curious around what he was up to and this uh, Love Love Will Be Done made me think of this when Batman happened yeah before that he got on that track I, I've always wondered what he was doing post Love Sexy the stuff that he was working on, that yes, because a lot on Batman's slightly throwaway, but yeah. like that should have had a um, the outtake from Batman album is the oh, what's the name of the song, Devil and the Pale Moonlights Lights, oh, yeah, or something, yeah, and that, yeah. that's just on YouTube. It was like that yeah. should have been on the album, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, and actually, it's funny, like one of the albums I went back to quite late, like when Prince was still alive, but. It wasn't until I started doing Prince DJ sets that I really got hooked on Love Sexy. Yeah. You know, I remember liking it when it came out, but I also remember it being, uh, you know, I don't know what it was. It's probably the cover, you know. It's probably the cover was um, a hard a hard sell yeah. on, a, on a young kid then to yeah. have in your collection and have people go, really, you listen to this? <laughs> but it was probably something as, as whack as that. Yeah. But... And then, of course, when it came out on CD, it was all one track, and that was the nightmare. Um, But getting the LP and having individual tracks made me, and and hearing live versions of things like Anastasia, and just going like, this stuff is, there's some really strong songs on here. Yeah. I'd always liked Glam Slam and Alphabet Street when they were singles, I always liked those, because that was peak peak first wave of fandom for me yeah you know so yeah, there was the too. new stuff on the back of you know had just seen the sign of the times film and been a become a really 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 big fan and then this was the new stuff so I loved that yeah but and I loved Batman soundtrack because I was a Batman fan yeah. and a Prince fan so it was the perfect yeah and the right age right age right era for it to be just this amazing you know blockbuster situation collecting the bubble gum cards everything totally
1: actually Going back to getting into prints again, it wasn't diamonds and pearls. It was Batman that got yeah, us all yeah, back in, and yeah, that happened on the yeah, back of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. But um, yeah, it's interesting. So, like, and then things, you know, things trickled out like that. Moonbeam song, which was great. Like,
2: mm.
0: hearing, I'm interested in hearing a few individual things from the '80s, yeah. sure, that are probably still buried. But in terms of whole albums or ul- alternate versions of things, I'm not particularly worried about that stuff the best thing that's happened apart from the originals album and i guess the piano and a microphone thing was quite a nice first touch given that that was the 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 sort of era that he was Mm -hmm. peddling you know that was the the final tour that was a perfectly acceptable little um thing to put out in the world but um actually just seeing the proper concert for sign of the times was amazing they released that for um uh, just I, I don't know what the official release of that is I think it might be part of the giant box set but they put it on YouTube for like two
1: days wow.
0: and I watched it and it's extraordinary it's like a New Year's Eve concert and so it's oh that's some, one Miles
1: Davis so. yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: so it's some of the live clips that end up in the concert film but it's the full live show yeah. it's two hours and Miles Davis comes out and it's just phenomenal again it's like it's on a level with <clears throat> that Prince and the Revolution show that musicology tour yeah it's it is one of the great prince live performances and you just go like this is you know that was a really cool thing to see yeah 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 so but you know i'm not too worried about you know i you go back through those albums and find new favorites you know i still i still have my days where i listen to um both um controversy and dirty mind
1: yeah together yeah.
0: As, like, a single album, as, like, an A and a B side of a. The, because they're only that. about half an hour long each. Yeah, and when
1: I had them, I had them on tape, yeah. and it was one of those two yeah, on yeah, one yeah, tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So I listen to them as, yeah, in and, and an experience to me that feels like a, a, a single album, mm-hmm. or, or, or a, you know, flipping between two versions of an artist. And I sometimes think that's, that's the best he ever got. Yeah.
2: You
0: know, there's enough there that's extraordinary. Yeah. Know. It's amazing, really, so it's just gone five years since his death, and it's interesting how we sort of celebrate and commiserate things now, like I wrote a piece about him last week for the five year thing, and I feel like people don't really care <laughs> overall, mm. which is fine, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately about um how um important the short story writer Owen Marshall is to me and what the I think the first story I ever read of his was a, a short story called The Day Hemingway Died mm. and it, it's you know um, fictionalised but it's basically about him finding out that Ernest Hemingway had died oh. and no one in his life giving a shit yeah. you know here he is in New Zealand a writer caring deeply about this important influential writer and his landlady just wants to know why the rents <laughs> Yeah, which is why you know, and that that I remember reading that when I was like fifteen, and that blowing my mind, and I was sort of thinking about that as I was writing this thing about how these are all the important mm-hmm. prints, milestones for me, and not quite dead air, but you know, in the scheme of things, I don't know. I suppose there were just loads of those articles, and yeah. then there were loads of people just moving on with whatever else. Um, but it's important that we kind of celebrate these things that have um, held us. In their sway for so long.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, I consider you a good friend and we would have maybe never met if we both didn't like Prince.
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> probably true. It's
1: probably true. Yeah. Five years, man. That's crazy. I remember when, uh, when they drilled into the vault and they, someone had done a stock take some of the stuff they'd pulled out there and I mm. don't know how true it was but I remember at the time I was sure I read that uh, uh, he had done an EP with Wien and I was like, what? What? This is amazing! <laughs> yeah. But I haven't been able to find any trace of this on <laughs> online ever again so far. That's amazing. I thought it's kind of... They were fans, you yeah, know, it's yeah, plausible yeah, you might have yeah, invited yeah. them to jam and yeah. recorded it.
0: Well, this is what I love is you can actually make any association work with an artist like prince yeah. you can it's believable that you know he was a massive pink floyd fan it's believable that he you know just like status quo yeah <laughs> you know it's utterly it's some things are more obvious and and more compelling and more exciting to think about some of the you know if ev- but you know i bought when i went to america i bought the a bootleg record of these are all the recordings that Prince and Miles Davis did together, and that's fucking terrible. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely terrible. And I got rid of it really quickly. I was like, I do not need that in my life. <laughs> Something about me had to hear it, Yeah. absolutely. Um, the you know, so the when they do perform on the stage in um, Sign of the Times. The, the proper concert that's a lovely moment yeah. and you can see the reverence that Prince has for him which is lovely mm. you know that's really important just going man I'm with one of the all time greats mm-hmm. but when they sit down to sort of play together I mean Miles My- was incredibly frail in the late eighties you know mm. he was he spent a long time um, being covered up for by younger better trumpet mm. players you know his final albums after Tutu his final albums d- there wasn't a lot of his horn on there. Yeah. You know, and there were people that became good impersonators for miles Mm -hmm. sound and the final live album, you know, he, he, you can hear when he's playing and it's very patchy compared to when the, the stand in guy is basically doing the Miles sound. So, so, you know, at 87, he was already like on his, on his way out. He hadn't Mm -hmm. really told anyone, but he was, he was winding down. He wasn't giving great performances. So sometimes it's just nice to know that these people connected but yeah. the actual end result or the unofficial end result that i heard there was nothing on it that needed to
1: exist it was curious i remember the first time hearing that song um, can i play with you the prince ascended mm. and it seems like a strange choice of song because like there's no space in it yeah. for miles at all he's yeah. just sort of trilling ev- yes over and around to just be yes. on the song but it's like what what do you want me to do here? Which is
0: super weird, too, because, mm. you know, um, Miles was the master of space, yeah, of creating and needing space and saying not much and letting it hang in yeah. its own little space. You know, yeah, he could, you know, in the early days, of course, he grew up out of bop, so he could really wail. But his thing, what really separated him was the the modal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hey, we've had a massive chat about Prince. I've loved it. Is yeah. there anything you want to um, talk about and mention before we wrap up? No, okay. I think we've got everything in there. We've got some good plugs for Odessa, so you're just gonna carry on. And yeah, bit we by g- bit, you've got shows, and you're working on recording. You've got new songs.
1: Yeah, we've we've recorded. Uh, well, it's, well, it was an old song, but um, called "It's Gonna Get Better." but we've rearranged it and I've added different lyrics to it and we recorded it with uh, Lee Preble um, with um, American singer uh, Mireya Ramos who's a Grammy winner and she got stranded here during COVID and her and her partner were like actually it's quite nice here (laughs) let's stay as long as possible and she's amazing Yeah, Um, and uh, saw us at Guns Magic Show and um, so she's singing on it and That'll come out at some yeah, point. Yeah, cool. Just gonna keep on going, keep the boat in the water. Yeah, yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, you know, it's been great to catch up this way, and great to to, to share the the love and the fandom. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks.
2: Let's do it again. Yeah, man.